What is going on, everybody? It is Jamie Shaw here on the Absolute Basketball Experience Podcast. Very excited about our guest today. Uh, the captain, Kerry Rich, uh, will be joining us today. We get to go through his time as a player. We get to go through all the great stuff that he's doing within the state of South Carolina for, the, for, for basketball. And we get to take a little peek into what the future for South Carolina basketball is. And uh, we reminisce with old times and great stories and uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, anytime Carrie and I get together, it can get a little long-winded. We're just two basketball junkies uh, that, that, that love telling stories and very proud about our state of South Carolina. So uh, strap in and enjoy. It's a great talk. Uh, two things first. First, I ask that you subscribe to the channel, uh, give us a five-star rating, and give us a nice review uh, on the channel. That would be great. Uh, also, I want to give a big shout-out, a thank you to all the frontline workers uh, during this time. Uh, it's big of you guys to be able to go out and, uh, and, and do, the, do, the, do the jobs and, and still maintain during this time of quarantine and, and everybody uh, sheltering. And uh, we appreciate what you do, uh, the Absolute Basketball uh, experience appreciate you guys and I, and I want to I want to thank you very much for that but without further ado here is Carrie Rich on the absolute basketball experience thank you what is going on everybody it is Jamie Shaw here on the absolute basketball experience and I'm very excited about today's guest uh, Carrie Rich the captain anybody who is around knows South Carolina uh, basketball uh, the state of South Carolina uh, he is the man uh, at the center of at the, at the center of it all. Uh, so very excited to have him on, talk hoops, uh, talk about his time as a player, talk about some prospects and, and all that fun stuff. Kerry, how you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing wonderful, man. And it's an honor to be on, uh, be on your podcast with you. Uh, we certainly appreciate all your efforts and especially what you do here in South Carolina and North Carolina and just, just region of the country. So thanks for having me. No, absolutely. And uh, I, I listened a little bit. Uh, I actually listened to the whole thing, your, your, your stuff with John Combs. And I got to tell you, man, your, your stories are unbelievable. I mean, your, your, your knowledge just off the top going way back to the 80s and 90s of basketball is, is, just, is just unbelievable. So I'm very excited about this. Um, so we'll start with you as a player. Uh, you started your playing career at Western Carolina. This is after coming from C.A. Johnson High School where you won a state championship. Um, and then you came back home to play at the University of South Carolina. What all went into that decision to come back and play uh, at USC? Yeah, you know, I um, uh, played here at C.A. Johnson High School, um, one of the oldest African-American schools in, in South Carolina. Um, there weren't a lot of players coming out of C.A. Johnson um, with the ability or, or with the opportunity to go play high-level basketball. Mm -hmm. And um, that was my dream. Um, ben Blocker came out the year, a couple of years before me, played at William & Mary. Uh, but my dream was to um, be able to play college basketball, the high-level college basketball. And um, so that became my motivation. And, you know, basketball in Columbia back in the 80s uh, was just on another level. And to be a part of that group, you had to work really, really hard. You had to make yourself relevant. And because I came from a school that was non-traditional when it came to being one of the guys, um, I, I, I had to kind of play with a chip on my shoulder and I had to play, I, I had to play a little bit harder than my, than my peers, so to speak, and was able to go uh, to Western Carolina, not by choice. Um, I, can, I don't mind saying with all due respect to Western Carolina, it wasn't by choice, uh, but things were handled a lot differently back then when it came to recruiting. Uh, whatever came through your head coach, uh, that was it. Um, whatever letters, whatever communication, um, he wanted you to be a part of, that's the way it was going to be. It's very different today because 
you know, coaches have the ability to, you know, speak directly with the prospects, speak directly with the parents, you know, with the, uh, you guys as the intermediaries. Uh, you guys have really bridged the gap. It wasn't like that back then. So I went to Western Carolina, um, did not uh, want to go. And uh, I told my friends, I told my mom that I, would, I was going to go and win freshman of the year. And uh, I was the unanimous freshman of the year uh, at, um, at Western Carolina, uh, first ever Southern Conference freshman of the year uh, for that particular school. And um, I already knew I was transferring um, at the end of the year. It was just a matter of where. And initially, it was going to be Clemson. Um, I remember, I'll tell you a story, I remember playing um, our fourth game, fourth or fifth game of my freshman year, we, we played Clemson at Little John. Uh, they had Dale Davis, my best friend, Andre Bovain, um, uh, Eric Burks, uh, a couple other guys, I can't remember the names, but uh, I, I have a really big game. Mm -hmm. I get 17 points, eight assists um, as a true freshman, fourth game of my career. And I remember walking off the court with Eugene Harris and Little John Collinson back then. You know, everybody, all players and coaches went through one door before mm -hmm. the newly renovated Little John Coliseum. And I remember walking up the court and he asked me, because he was recruiting me in high school, and he asked me, oh, man, how in the world did you end up at Western Carolina? And he said, um, I said, man, because you guys didn't offer me. <laughs> me not knowing any better, right? Yeah. Because <laughs> I'm, I'm only going by what, what I was told. Oh, no question. And, um, so, um, nevertheless, make a long story short, he said, well, that's not the case. We want you here, blase, 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 get through this year, and we'll reconnect. Uh, keep doing what you're doing, and we'll, re uh, we'll reconnect. And crazy thing about it is I got through the year, and I was named freshman, uh, freshman of the year, and um, the state newspaper here, mm -hmm. which is our local paper here in Columbia, did a big article, how did Kerry Rich get out of South Carolina to go to Western Carolina, right? Yeah. So I'm thinking, because it was already a done deal for me to go to Clemson. Mm -hmm. So I'm thinking to myself, wow, we didn't want to make this a big deal. Let's just do it quietly and let me go to Clemson and uh, let that be the end of it. And uh, surely enough, when I was, uh, was, I was getting ready to uh, visit Clemson and I was going to make it official there once I got back from Western Carolina, um, got a phone call saying that Western Carolina was not going to release me. Uh, to Clemson. Um, uh, there were some allegations of tampering. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, they were not going to release me to Clemson. I was going to play for Cliff Ellis. Um, and Steve Newton was coming in here, South Carolina. As a matter of fact, Western Carolina wouldn't release me to anyone. And Alex English, the legendary Alex English, had uh, he had one of the best camps in the state every year where he would invite the top players to serve as the, uh, the coaches for the younger mm -hmm. kids. Uh, we were up there playing pickup basketball one night, and uh, Steve Newton had just taken a job for South Carolina. Uh, he came up and was wondering and asking who I was, and they were like, well, he's from Columbia, blase, 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 but Western Carolina won't release him. Make a long story short, Western Carolina ultimately decided to release me to the University of South Carolina. That was the only school that they would release me to, and it turned out to be the absolute best decision ever because of my post-playing days here in Columbia. It's, uh, it's funny how things work out that way. It's like you have this direction for it, it takes a hard left, and all of a sudden it's, it's, it's the right way. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, I never ever would have thought that it would have ended up uh, this way, but certainly uh, looking back over my life and playing at South Carolina, becoming a two-time captain there. Mm -hmm. um, I caught the program, unfortunately, when it was in rebuilding mode. Uh, when Eddie Fogler, uh, my first year there as a sophomore, uh, Steve Newton resigned uh, in the middle of the year. So you're yeah. talking about, very respectfully said, a lame duck coach in the SEC. 
Yeah. Uh, you're not going to win many games. You're not even going to have a chance to win games back in the 90s playing in the SEC. Then Eddie Fogler comes in, coming off of winning the National uh, Coach of the Year with Vanderbilt. Mm -hmm. um, uh, when he came in, we had three scholarship players on the roster. Myself, Jamie Watson, and Emmett Hall. Even though those two guys were all SEC performers, uh, having three guys yeah. that were starters and having to piecemeal the team around us three, again, in the 90s, you weren't going to win many games without eight or nine guys that could play. And um, so I caught it in rebuilding mode. Looking back, I wish I, I could have caught it when it was more stable because the one thing that I've come to realize and, and everybody when it comes to this college game is you got you to gotta have guys around. You got to be a good team. Yeah. And uh, when you're not surrounded by really, really good players, um, everything that you do individually is impacted negatively or positively. Well, looking back on that, your time at South Carolina, uh, you finished your career averaging uh, 12 points, four assists, three rebounds, 1.3 steals per game over your final two seasons. And both of those seasons, uh, you were named the captain of the team, which is a moniker that still sticks with you today, the captain. Um, what do those two years specifically mean to you looking back on them? Uh, means so much um, in particular having the opportunity to play for uh, Coach Eddie Fogler, uh, Coach Jeff Lebo. Uh, very respectfully said to all of the other guys that I played for, those guys really taught me the game. Uh, those guys helped me understand the game. And they were two point guards. Uh, so mm -hmm. they uh, really were able to share a lot of intricacies with me about that particular position. And, um, you know, I remember my junior year, you know, coming off of my sophomore year, that was my worst year of college basketball. That was the only year that I did not average double figures. And I know why. Um, I got caught up going to play at the University of South Carolina. I was home. I grew up 10 minutes away from the campus. Um, I'm now rooming and, and teammates with the guys that I idolized mm -hmm. in high school, Jamie Watson. You know, Barry Manning was as big as they came in the state of South Carolina. He was my roommate. Joe Rett yeah. was one of the biggest names that ever came through here. He was my sweet mate. So now I'm one of those guys, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm from Columbia. I'm 10 minutes from home. I got caught up, and I forgot what got me to that point, hard work and doing the other things that, that allowed me to be in that position. So I lost um, my priorities were not where they needed to be. Um, so when Eddie Fogler came in, you know, he brought in a junior college guard, Jamie, to compete for my starting position. And uh, that, made me lock, that, that made me lock it all the way back in because yeah. no way was I going to be in Columbia and not be the starting point guard. No way, not with the no tradition pride that we all had in Columbia back then. And um, I remember, man, I was busting my behind. I didn't have to go to study hall at all. So while the guys would have to go to while the guys would go to study hall, I would go out on the track and I'd run. I was in the best shape of my life, right? Oh yeah. And uh, Coach Fogler, again, I'm playing with two All SEC performers in Jamie Watson and Emma Hall. Coach Fogler named me captain. Mm -hmm. And not only did he name me captain, but he said there wasn't another player deserving of the honor to be my co-captain. And that was all through sheer work ethic and just you know trying to do right by others, being a good teammate, not making excuses. And that's, that's a long place from bringing someone in to compete for my starting job. And I remember the first game, we're playing Old Dominion, one of those really good Old Dominion teams back then. Mm -hmm. And I, I have to be rushed to the hospital for an emergency appendectomy. Uh, so I'm like, oh, man, all of this hard work. And now I'm out for the foreseeable future. 
And we're four games. I think I missed maybe my fourth game in Coach Fogler. Uh, I'm on the bench, and Coach Fogler walks down to where I was sitting on the bench, and he said, hey, Kerry, I need you to uh, make sure you keep the guys in line, keep them in place until you get back on the court. And that mm -hmm. was a defining moment for me because it reminded me that even while not playing, he still believed enough in me to be able to impact this team as a leader. That was my defining moment. He gave me ownership of the team. It was my locker room. Um, it was my huddle to a certain extent whenever he wasn't talking. Um, I remember playing against uh, Arkansas. I'm bringing the ball down, and I'm uh, facing that 40 minutes of hell, and I'm looking over at him, you know, for the play. And he waves me off, and, he's, he, and, and waving as a point guard. When you get waved off and the coach gives you that freedom to call your own play, there's a amount of trust uh, that's, uh, that's there, that's present. I was able to benefit from that. Um, coach Fogel was also very, very well versed with the officiating and the rules. Mm -hmm. uh, so he would challenge the officials a lot during the games. And so the officials, because he was so well versed, they wouldn't want to talk to him. Yeah. So he would plant the question with me uh -huh. and I would have to go over and speak to the officials and they would break the, uh, whatever the rule was down to me. So that gave me an entirely different perspective uh, of officiating and some of the other things. So just, an unreal experience playing for Coach Fogler. Um, he had three principles in terms of how you played. You played hard, you played smart, you played unselfishly. Played hard, smart, and unselfishly. And those three things have been able to impact how I live my life every single day. Uh, you play hard, I want to work hard. Uh, you play smart, hopefully I try to make smart decisions, and you play unselfishly. So I'm trying my absolute best to use my blessings to help bless others. and. Um, just those things have directly impacted every single thing that I do in um, how I live my life today. And you, you mentioned that you're kind of an extension of the coach on the floor. That, that's a very rare thing uh, that you find in today's game and stuff. You get so short, short time and have that trust. Uh, the team plays better there when the coach doesn't have to sit there and, and bark plays on the sideline and, and, and changes and switches and all that kind of stuff. When the trust is there with the, with, with the coach and the, and the point guard and the point guard is able to, to flow through, everything runs smoother within the, the, the set of the offense. Yeah, especially when you have that – and it, it, that trust, you don't just you, – you earn that trust over yeah. time. And, and I think, fortunately, I was able to earn that trust uh, with Coach Fogler early on. And uh, not only did he trust me from – the standpoint of allowing me to kind of run the locker room and um, you know run the dorm, um, but even when it came to uh, handing down discipline, mm -hmm. uh, you know he would ask my opinion. Hey, Kerry, player X did X, Y, Z. What do you think, or how do you think we should hand down punishment for uh, this particular player? And man, you know, thinking back, uh, that's a uh, that was a, a pretty hefty. That's a heavy um, burden. A burden. But, but, but I certainly appreciate it. I'll tell you a quick story with Coach Fogler. Uh, we're, playing, we're playing at Providence. Providence had a, uh, on that particular team, they had about four guys to get drafted. Austin Koshier was on that team. Um, uh, Eric Williams, uh, Dickie Simpkins. Mm -hmm. They had the little point guard, Abdul Abdullah. Oh, yeah. uh, he was on that team. And um, we were playing there right after Christmas, I think New Year's Eve. And we'd all flown to Providence, Rhode Island from our respective cities the day after Christmas. So we'd been there for, you know, four or five days. And, you know, we're ready to play, ready to get back home. And on this particular day, uh, New Year's Eve night, uh, we're standing at the hotel that happens to be the home of the biggest New Year's Eve party in town. 
So it was a destination, right? That's where everybody came to. Yeah. And we played, we played uh, Providence that particular day. And they, when I say they beat the brakes off of us, uh, they crushed us. We had no chance from the start. And so, of course, Coach Fogel is mad. He's ready to get out of town the next morning. We fly out early the next morning. So the guys, Jamie Watson and Emmy Hall in particular, wanted to go to the party uh, at the hotel. So they boosted me up to call Coach Fogel. And then those that know Coach Fogel, he goes to sleep really, really early, still mm -hmm. to this day. Uh, we have a great relationship right now uh, to this day. And he goes to sleep rather early. He's in bed at 8, 30, 9 o'clock. And they boosted me up to call him to ask could we go to the party. And I'll just say the conversation lasted all of three seconds, uh, a few expletives. And <laughs> so as Jamie Watson and Emmett Hall is standing next to me, I say, well, guys, hell, he's mad anyway. He's probably going to bring us back up, so we might as well go to the party. No doubt. We get to the party, Jamie. Every assistant coach <laughs> is at the party. <laughs> Jeff Lebo, <laughs> Rick Callahan, who's now in Monmouth. Um, Jeff Lebo is now former East Carolina coach, Army yeah. coach. He's uh, working with the uh, – a G League team at, uh, in Charlotte, and the late Neil Doherty, who was a longtime assistant for Roy Williams at Kansas. All three of those guys are at the party. And so we, we get there. There's no need to try to leave now. We stay up all night long. We got an early flight out the next morning. Normally, whenever we get back to Columbia, the bus picks us up at the airport and takes us back to our dorm. Well, this particular day, the bus doesn't take us to the dorm. It takes us straight to the Carolina Coliseum. And we're going to practice. Yeah, so about line up, 10 minutes of practice. <laughs> 10 minutes of practice, Coach Fogler. <laughs> Coach Fogler, yes. I, hell, Carrie, I'm so sure, I am so glad I didn't let you guys go out to the club last night because you guys would be really, really tired. Yeah. I said, Coach, that was the best decision you ever made by not letting us go. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome. That's a great story. Um, speaking, yeah. of, speaking of Jeff Lebo, um, he is noted for having one of the prettiest jump shots I've ever seen in my life. Um, have you ever fallen victim to throwing some money on the line and uh, trying to shoot with him? No, because I knew that we could not outshoot him and I could not outshoot him. Uh, I, I'll tell you what, though, um, I, I've fallen victim to several of his workouts. He had some unreal workouts for the guards and, you know, B.J. Mackey, Melvin Watson, they all, Larry Davis, you ask skinny of them, they all would tell you about the legendary workouts with Jeff Lebo when it's just you and him or maybe uh, two other guys. And, you know, his whole, uh, his whole objective was to, you know, make sure you got shots up at game speed, mm -hmm. uh, which is something that I've taken away from him, understanding you can work out. But if you're not working out at game speed, then it doesn't make it, it doesn't translate. Yeah. When you work out, you got to work out at game speed. And I got that from, from Jeff Lebo. But the one thing that really made his time uh, so impactful when it came to me is that, you know, all of the things that he would try to get us to do as, as players uh, with him coaching us, you know, you would watch ESPN Classic because he played at North Carolina, so the games were always on television. Mm -hmm. You know, everything that he would try to get us to do, um, we'd watch him play some of those games. You can see him doing the exact same thing. So mm -hmm. now – his words, his coaching, his, um, his, his wisdom, all of those things resonated a lot more effectively because he was able to show us um, some of the stuff that he was trying to tell us to do on the court. And I, I really learned so much from Jeff Lebo and Eddie, Eddie Fogel. And still to this day, Lebo is one of the best guys ever. Got to sit down, have a beer with, and just chat, you know, 
four hours seems like 20 minutes. It, it just time goes <laughs> easy with him. Um, you've been very vocal about George Glimp and Eddie Fogler uh, being key fig figures within your life. What do these two men, men overall mean to you? Uh, I, I heard Eddie Fogler. Who was the other guy? George Glimp. George Glimp, yes. Well, George Glimp, um, uh, when you talk Columbia basketball, and I think you know how much pride I take in Columbia basketball because of how big it was and the really, really, the number of really, really good players that have come out of Columbia. Um, going back to the early 80s and late 70s, Alex English and Xavier McDaniel and Tyrone Corbett. You know, Coach George Glimp created, he was, and certainly not to minimize the late Carl Williams, uh, the Jim Childers, uh, Jim Childers from uh, Lord Richland, Tim Whipple from Irmo, mm -hmm. um, Bailey Harris from Lexington. George Glimp is the godfather. Yeah. And George Glimp has given me his blessing uh, to continue to uh, shine that light on Columbia basketball and promote Columbia basketball uh, because uh, this is how he did it. Um, you know, I am who I am because of Columbia basketball. Mm -hmm. I'm a motivated guy because of Columbia basketball. I wanted so badly to be able to sit at that table in the late 80s and the yeah. early 90s when you talked about some of the best players that came through Columbia. I wanted to be a part of that. So it became my rallying cry. It became the chip on my shoulder. And Coach George Glimp is directly responsible for that. So with that being said, I wanted to be able to carry on the torch, uh, but also pay homage to a guy that created this certainly as he's gotten older. When it comes to Eddie Fogler, uh, you know, I've said, you know, how much I appreciate him, you know, naming me captain, but, you know, he's become uh, a father figure to me. Um, you know, we all have a few guys, those that, you know, outside of your parents, I think we all have a few guys that when you need to get the answer to some really, really tough questions, um, Eddie Fogler is that guy for me. Uh, Coach Fogler is that guy for me. And the reason being is he's going, he's going to be honest. Um, he's going to give you every side, and he's going to make you think the, the situation through. And uh, we're still, still very close. Um, uh, he's a very loyal guy, and I'm a very loyal guy. And uh, being involved, being associated with him has helped me. And I tell you what, something else, he's taken, he's taken a liking to my son. Mm -hmm. um, he, uh, he goes to practice. I, I invited him to a middle school game a couple of years ago, and he came and he fell in love with my son. And you know, as you're talking about a guy that coached me in college, and now he's taking that same love and that same approach and same uh, just putting his arms around my son. That makes it even that much more special. But love his wife, Robin. We have a great, great relationship. We speak on a regular basis. We go to lunch occasionally. We go to dinner occasionally. Um, so I'm very, very fortunate, very lucky uh, to have a guy like Eddie Fogler. Um, and I hate to call him my friend because I've never called my coach my friend, but just someone like that um, in my corner as a father figure who also happens to be one of the most influential guys in college basketball. No question. No question. The work he does behind the scenes is, 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 is yes. awesome. And your son is a very, uh, very easy kid to like when you watch him play basketball. We'll get into a little bit more of that later. But um, I was, when I was researching kind of this stuff to, to talk with you, I read a quote with Andrew Ramspacker from the state. He's, he's no, no longer there, but he wrote an article about you. It said, he's not garnered, this is about you, he's not garnered the respect he has because he's an ex-ball player. He's garnered the respect because he's an ex-ball player who used his platform to give back to the streets that he grew up on. What does this statement, what does this legacy of you mean to you? 
I mean, it's everything um, because I do take uh, my platform very seriously. If it was not for basketball, I would not have this platform. I probably would not be speaking to you, Jamie Shaw, if I didn't have basketball. Basketball has given me a tremendous platform. I used uh, the game. I did not let the game use me, and I used that experience to uh, generate a platform because, the, you know, the one thing I think we all, as student athletes, uh, I think the biggest misconception is that uh, sometimes we feel like the university owes us something. Uh, the university doesn't owe us anything. The university gave us an unreal experience to be able to play the sport that we all love while also getting an education. You notice I didn't say free education, right? No, getting but. an education. Because <laughs> you earned every bit of that. Yep. And, and with that, um, I, I found a way to, to create a platform. And the one thing we all have to remember as student athletes is that you have to recreate yourself once you're done playing. Because time erodes consciousness, and the further you are removed from your playing days, the more people forget what you did while at that university. And the university can't do or create jobs for all of the athletes that have come through there. So what you have to do is you have to use that experience to your advantage, create relationships, forge relationships, sustain those relationships, and then use that as your body of work. And then what happens, which is what has happened for me, the university has seen my body of work, so now they they become my biggest ally. They become one of my biggest supporters. Um, they're phone call away, whether you're talking Will Muschamp, whether you're talking Ray Tanner, whether you're talking Frank Martin, Don Staley. Um, they all are one phone call away to support my efforts in the community. Mm -hmm. And it's because I didn't rely on them. I didn't go, go to them asking to do X, Y, and Z. I worked hard. I recreated myself, and fortunately for them, well, fortunately for me, they found a way to come along and, and, um, and support my efforts. So the platform that I have, it goes back to one of the three principles that Coach Fogler um, made us understand. You know, play unselfishly. Well, use my blessings to help bless others. Mm -hmm. And by having a platform, by having relationships with guys like you, by having relationships with college coaches all over the country, I can help bridge that gap. And if bridging that gap allows one of our young people to um, get an education through sports, then that's what I'm going to do. That's what I'm going to continue to do. And I have great, great, great support from the folks in this area, in particular the media, who helps create the narrative and tell the narrative. So when we have an event, uh, they do a really good job of promoting the event. And um, we found a way to, to highlight and showcase a lot of our kids, not only in Columbia, but also throughout the state of South Carolina. Um. South Carolina has some really high-level events now. Uh, you know, you got the Chick-fil-A, the Bo Bash, you got the Beach Ball Classic over on the coast and stuff. One of my favorite events to go to every single year is the South Carolina Pro-Am. Uh, mm -hmm. This is something that you put on, this is something you're putting together and all that kind of stuff. It, uh, it, it's an unbelievable, uh, just, you know, 10 or so days of basketball. Great players come through. What does this event mean to the community? Yeah, you know what? It's become a destination for – our, our community. It's a free event. Um, it allows for a very intimate setting. Um, and, you know, for those that aren't necessarily able to go out to games on a regular basis during the year, it allows them to be able to come out and see those very same guys that would, that they would normally see on television in an up close and intimate setting. Mm -hmm. And um, last year was just, last year was our eighth year. And true story, um, after year six, I was ready to get out of it. 
Because what I wanted to do was, my goal, Frank Martin actually um, came to me when he first got here, because they were doing a big uh, pro-am out in the Midwest when he was at K-State. And he came to me and asked me to do this because this was a way to generate um, basketball interest in the city of Columbia or the state of South Carolina. Whereas otherwise, because we're a football dominant state, you're probably not going to start talking basketball until October. Yeah. Well, Frank wanted to change that. Uh, and I said, well, we can do it. The only way we can do it is if I got to have your full commitment when it comes to your players being a part of it. And surely enough, uh, that was the case. Uh, they're the main draw. Um, but as you saw last year, uh, you're talking about a packed house uh, where some Darius Thornwell comes back, a P.J. Dozier comes back. And we got John Morant to come back last year. Uh, that was a big, big deal. And uh, Toy Craig came back. Um, um, Chris Middleton that played for the Bucks played in it two years ago. So we've had a, a lot of the NBA players, um, and, and not just the NBA players, but a guy like Russell Jones, who yeah. started and did a terrific job as a freshman at Winthrop mm -hmm. uh, this past year. He became like one of the biggest draws at the SEC at the SEC program last year. And you know, I do some local sports talk radio on the official Gamecock station 107.5, and it was the first time that a listener had ever called to ask about a non-USC basketball player. That was Russell Jones. So, and, and, and I'll tell you the other thing that I really enjoy about the program real quickly is, you know, the guys that play Division II yep. who often dreamt about playing against those guys from South Carolina, playing against the Sedarius Thornwells or the P.J. Dozers or the John Morant. Well, guess what? In the SC program, you get the opportunity to do just that. Uh, so that's been probably the one thing outside of it being a free community event the one thing that I've enjoyed more than anything is allowing those uh, those young people who otherwise wouldn't get the opportunity to share the court with those big name guys. They get to do it at the SE, SE program. No doubt. And, and for me, uh, obviously, I live in North Carolina now, but I'm from South Carolina, all that kind of stuff. I, I, it's, it's enjoyable to see somebody be able to bring the community together like that and then celebrate the state of South Carolina as a whole. Uh, that, that just brings goosebumps to me every time I get to see that type of stuff uh, on a personal level. And, and that, that, that event for me, I don't know what it is about it, but it's just, it, it just brings goosebumps thinking about it. It's something I will always clear my schedule for to come to. Um, basketball has done a lot for you. Uh, you know, as you mentioned before, what are some great stories that you have of how basketball has just really afforded you some uh, great opportunities? Wow. Are we talking non-basketball stories or just um, stories that have been generated through basketball? Just stories that'll, if you were never the captain at the University of South Carolina yeah. and you didn't go and, and, you know, reinvent yourself into the community leader that you are now, things just wouldn't have happened. So, yeah, I got two stories that, that I'd quickly like to share. One um, being our former governor, Nikki Haley, who was also a part of the cabinet with President Trump. Um, her son, Naylin, who just decided to go to Villanova, um, he's a big, big basketball fan. He loves basketball. And uh, he would hang around the USC practices. And um, they wanted Frank Martin to become the, um, uh, his mentor, so to speak. And because of the NCAA regulations, you know, the, it's a little gray area. So the players say, uh, Frank said, well, you know what? I have a guy that, um, that would be perfect for your son. Mm -hmm. And his name is Kerry Rich. And, uh, he made the connection, and um, um, 
I began mentoring Nayland and you know, more importantly, Governor Haley uh, trusted me. She entrusted her son with me. And you know, I got to know the, the security detail. I got to know all of the nannies. Um, and he played AAU, so I would go to some of the AAU games. They would invite me. And you know, this is probably one of the cool parts. I would, you know, normally folks in Columbia take care of me anyway. I probably don't pay to go in any games yeah. here locally. But yeah. you know, they always wanted to make sure I was situated, I was good. Uh, her security detail would always meet me at the front door and escort me to where she was seated at. And we're talking about Governor Haley, right? So that was that was a pretty cool deal. And I know that if it wasn't, if it were not for basketball, if I wasn't the captain, that probably would not happen. But uh, the story that always come, comes to my mind in terms of basketball, I, um, there was a good friend that lives out in Chapin, South Carolina. He owned a big marketing company. Mm -hmm. And one of his biggest clients uh, was Louisville. And I'd often talked about being able to go to Louisville and Kentucky game. And being from Columbia, being in South Carolina, we all understand how big the Clemson and South Carolina football game is. Well, the Louisville and Kentucky basketball game rivals that. And I wanted to see it. I wanted to be able to see it. So uh, he surprises me one year and tells me that uh, he's going to take me to a Louisville and Kentucky game. And not only was he going to take me to a Louisville and Kentucky game, but he's going to fly me on his private jet to the Louisville and Kentucky game. So we fly on his private jet uh, to Louisville, Kentucky. This is right after the Yum Center was, was built. And we have a limousine waiting for us as we land. And um, we, we get there they, and drive us to some secluded area um, at the Yum Center. We're met uh, by one of, the, uh, uh, one of their people, one of the personnel there, uh, take us on a tour. Uh, meet different people to include Rick Pitino, even though I just played against Rick Pitino when I was at South Carolina. Yeah. Uh, but just showed me the inside of Yum Center and you know watched it from a suite. But here's the thing that really reminded me that I was a lucky, lucky guy. We um, right after the game, there's a there's a restaurant, a steakhouse that's adjacent to the Yum Center. It's mm -hmm. it's, it's a destination. It's who's who, whoever was big or whoever. Um, had some name recognition. They were at uh, that restaurant right after the game, and surely enough, uh, we're go. We're over there, and um, we're seated at one table. And right next to us is is John Gruden. John Gruden was still Monday Night Football, yeah. and uh, the former owner of Papa John's Pizza. Uh, they've flown into Louisville, Kentucky together. I think they flew in from Tampa, and their plane was right next to in the restaurant. Um, but also, this is what really reminded me. Uh, we were uh, we were getting ready to eat. We had just got done. Well, we were finishing up, and I see walk down to the uh, next room, World Wide West. Uh, I think we all know who World Wide West is, right? Um, uh, Calipari comes in, Rod Strickland. Um, you're talking about who's who of basketball. They all are in that restaurant also. But, again, this is what reminded me of, of how blessed I am because of basketball. Uh, we're finishing up our meal, and uh, one of the servers uh, comes to our table, and he says to uh, my guy, he said, hey, just want to let you know that your plane is ready, it's clean, it's ready, and your limo is here to take you to the airport so you guys can get back to Columbia. And I'm just, that was a moment, Jamie, and I'm saying, wow, is this, is, is this real life? Is this how the rich and famous operate? <laughs> so we were able to uh, get back to the airport, and by 8 o'clock that night, I was back in Columbia, uh, just in a dream world and just 
thanking the man upstairs for allowing me to play basketball and uh, forge the right type of relationships that afforded me an opportunity like that. So those are probably two of the coolest things I've been able to do um, through basketball. Yeah, yeah it, it actually spoiled me because now I don't like going through airports. is my life is the blueprint to my life um i grew up in the biggest set of projects in the state of south carolina um my mother had me when she was 16 years old uh she worked as a waitress to support my sister and i and if it were not for basketball i would not have been provided new and different opportunities because um a young kid that's growing up in the inner city regardless of what city they're from um you you, so you, you become a product of your environment. And if you're not exposed to new and different things, you believe what you see every day. And in most cases, as an inner city kid, you see drug dealers, you see drug users, you see prostitutes, uh, you see folks that are probably not in the most favorable situations when it comes to society. So if you're not exposed to anything different, you begin to think that this is what life is supposed to be. Well, that's not what life is. Life offers a whole lot more than just that basketball afforded me a lot of opportunities. Basketball afforded me um, opportunities to forge relationships with people that can help. Uh, so the platform that I have, I am a big believer that every kid has a gift and it's up to us as adults to help identify those gifts. And the way we identify those gifts is by putting them into new experiences, taking them to new environments. And by doing that, you're hoping that something clicks, something goes off. And as much as we want to believe that every young person, especially as an African-American in the inner city, um, you know, every last one of them not, is not going to be a starting quarterback in the SEC. Everyone is not going to be a starting point guard in the SEC. But a lot of them still have the ability to become engineers. A lot of them have the ability to become attorneys. And through my relationships, um, not only do we um, I help identify those gifts through new experiences, but we help um, develop and nurture those gifts. And we do that through social capital. Social capital being the relationships that I just talked about. Hey man, uh, you own a business, I know what you're doing. I need you to really, if you could, give me an opportunity to put this young person, um, um, let them volunteer, uh, whether it's um, something that allows them to get experience, internship, something that they get an experience of working. And then we maximize that by helping them um, through those relationships, through that experience. And now we put them in a position to maximize that gift. And that's what my, my foundation is all about. And it's a, it's a blueprint to who I am. It's, it's my life. I was an inner city kid, came from, um, from a school, still my neighborhood, even though I came from the school that produced uh, astronaut Charles Bolden, from a sports standpoint, I still remain the only basketball player to ever go and play high level basketball. So 
Um, the opportunities aren't plentiful since I'm one of those guys, one of the very few. Then I got to make sure I use my platform the right way. I got to make sure I inspire these young folks. I got to make sure I provide hope. I got to make sure I provide opportunities. And because we've been able to build a body of work and a track record here in Columbia, the folks here have been so, so supportive from an educational standpoint, from the world of politics, from the world of education, from the world of athletics, to the world of local, um, local business owners, um, even from the religious uh, component of the society. We have people in all of those areas that, able, that are able to help create opportunities uh, for our young people. And that's, uh, that's been the wonderful thing that I've really enjoyed about the platform that I've been given. And uh, more importantly, uh, just having the opportunity to kind of use the blueprint of my life as an inspiration to young people. Yeah, Captain's Hope kind of um, embodies everything I just mentioned, the blueprint of my life. Um, but we do a lot of different events um, under that umbrella of the SE Pro-Am. Uh, we just finished our fifth annual MLK Classic. It's a boys and girls at Oakland High School where we um, invite the best teams uh, from Columbia. And we also invite some teams from outside of Columbia, boys and girls. Uh, we do that. Uh, we always do something. Um, when it comes to going back to school, uh, this past year we did a big a turkey drive where um, we gave away several turkeys and, and turkey dinners to uh, the underserved. And uh, it was fun for me because I was able to, to uh, ride in the truck and, and personally uh, deliver some of those uh, turkey dinners and just to see the joy on some of the faces you know, at that door. I think sometimes it's so easy to take for granted uh, because we are fortunate to be able to enjoy a Thanksgiving dinner. And it's also easy for us to form a creative perception of those that are receiving um, those gifts. Uh, but I think it's also important not to take for granted that you know, some people are really in need. And uh, to be able to touch those folks um, every year, we also do the same thing. With, uh, we always adopt uh, two or three families for Christmas. And uh, again, just to see the joy on their, on their faces, the kids' faces, because you know, oftentimes, well, not oftentimes, but, you know, the kids didn't ask for the situation that they're in. And it's still up to us to provide hope and inspiration for young people. Are we going to touch all of them? No, we're not going to touch all of them. But certainly, I think it's, um, it's, it's imperative for us as adults to still do those things. And with me, from, with me being from inner city Columbia, um, uh, having a presence, creating a presence, uh, is even more incumbent upon me to make sure I use my presence so that those kids, I don't want them to just see me on television. I don't want them to just hear me on the radio. I don't want them to just read some of my quotes. I want them to be able to touch me. I want them to be able to feel me. And I want them to be able to have conversation with me so that they do realize that, you know what? That guy grew up just like I did. I want to do what he did or I want to be better than he became, and it's my responsibility to help them become just that.
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, and you, you know, I love my younger generation, um, but it's, yeah, it, the, the, the 80s, the, the 80s, Jamie, was just, the, the 80s was just on another level. Um, and, you know, so much is made about AAU. Well, we had a team out of Columbia, out of the state of South Carolina, most of those teams, I mean, most of the players came from Columbia, that won the 1988 National AAU National Championship. And the class of 88 is one of the best classes to ever come through the, the country. You're talking about Alonzo Mourning, Sean Kemp, um, Brian. I mean, we could go on and on. That was one of the best classes to ever come through high school uh, basketball. And, you know, we had a team from Columbia that actually won um, the National AAU Championship. We also had a team from Columbia when the Beach Ball Classic was the most prestigious tournament in the country, we had a team by the name of Eau Claire to go down and beat the Archbishop Malloy with Kenny Anderson uh, back in the late 80s. And it put Eau Claire on the map, put everybody on the map. I remember I told a story, um, you know, during the 80s, every team, 80s and mid 90s, every team had one or two guys that were good enough to play at some level of college basketball, Division One, and most high level. Uh, so that became the, the competition, that became the camaraderie, uh, that became what fueled us. Uh, but that period, 1988, go back to uh, uh, Rodney Taylor uh, came out in 86, AC Floor High School. Um, he signed to play at Villanova. I think it was right after uh, Villanova won the national championship in 85. And Roland Massimino, who was the coach, showed up at AC Floor High School in a white limousine. And it was a big, big deal, right? <laughs> you know, everybody... And we're not even going to talk about, you know, Xavier McDaniel, that was the first college player to leave the country in scoring and rebounding at Wichita State. I remember watching Tyrone Corbin playing at DePaul, and Tyrone Corbin, uh, Al McGuire, who's one of the best guys to ever call games in terms of color analysts, he would call Tyrone Corbin the best conditioned basketball player in the country because he would just run, run, run. And we all know Tyrone Corbin did 19 years, 20 years in the NBA, still a coach. So, and, and, I could go on and on where I'm naming guys that play high-level basketball during the 80s. And, and all the way, not during the 80s, but all the way up to the mid-90s where you had the B.J. Mackeys, uh, the Jermaine O'Neills, and the Kevin Garnett's. And I could go on, you know, the Ray Allen's. You know, you know, that was the 80s, mid-90s. There was a big gap when it came to basketball talent in the, South, in the state of South Carolina. And uh, I think uh, P.J. Dozier and Seven Woods uh, Sundarius Thornwell, those guys deserve a lot of credit for, and um, I, I forget the young man that went, LJ Pete, he was also another guy that generated a lot of attention and brought a lot of the coaches back to, back to South Carolina. In particular, Columbia, you know, between P.J. Doja and Seven Woods over two, three-year periods, uh, Jamie, uh, every coach that's somebody came through Columbia to see those guys. Every coach that's somebody for that two, three-year period came to Columbia. Those guys made, made Columbia a destination once again. And from that point, you began to see the Devontae Shulers of the world and some of the other guys came after that. And, 
And then whoever would have thought, or whoever would have guessed that a Jabba Rant or a Zion Williamson would come to close the deal. And, you know, I know I missed a lot of the guys, but I'm just trying to kind of uh, capture as many as I possibly could. But, yeah, the, the, the 80s was just something totally different. I know today's society, man, when you, when you speak about your era, they think you're hating on them or you think you're not appreciating them. That's not the case at all. Uh, but basketball was a little bit different, and the talent level was a lot different from, from top to bottom. Yeah, I think um, uh, the new offers directly correlate with him becoming a more aggressive basketball player. Uh, early on, I think he uh, maybe played around on the perimeter a little bit too much. Uh, he liked shooting the three, uh, but uh, he's found a way to mix it up. Uh, he's played with a, a little bit more aggressiveness. He's found a way to be able to make plays in traffic. Uh, so now, you know, he's not a guy that's just hanging out along the three-point line. What he's doing is mixing it up a little bit, and he's made himself into a commodity. And there's a direct correlation with the uh, the new offers, the SEC offers, and how five offers that we're now seeing um, Ed was subjected to. Yeah, he's a scoring point guard, and he can do the one thing that, that you absolutely have to be able to do as a point guard um, at the next level. you got to be able to make plays from the perimeter. And he's a really, really good shooter. Um, I think he's a gamer. Um, he's a safe point guard. He's not going to take many chances with the basketball. Uh, he's going to run the offense. He's not going to turn it over a whole lot. Uh, but he plays with basketball intelligence. And, again, I think because he has the ability to do the one thing that a lot of guards can't do consistently, and that is make the jump shot is made him into a commodity in the state of South Carolina. Yeah, I've seen a guy continue to develop. Um, I know there was a lot of, I remember seeing him as an eighth grader. My son played against him as an eighth grader, and I remember seeing him. And I've watched him um, kind of expand his game. Um, he's not a guy that occasionally uh, is able to step out on the perimeter, but he's comfortable. He plays with a level of comfort out on the perimeter. And also, I like his, his burst um, that he plays with inside the paint. I saw him catch, a, catch an offensive rebound one time last year. And without putting it down, he went straight up and dumped it. And that's something that a lot of college guys don't do. So, you know, that kind of lets you know the type of talent that you're, uh, that you're um, getting in a guy like uh, Julian Phillips. He's certainly a, a power five a prospect.
Yeah, you know what? I, I, I don't mind saying that I'm a little bit dumbfounded that uh, he hasn't received more uh, more power five offers than what he's received. He's a uh, he's a uh, he's a point guard. He's six three, so he already plays a position that's going to directly translate to college. He plays with the basketball intelligence. Uh, he's a really good passer, and uh, the the one thing uh, or the one hang up many of the folks that I've spoken to about him has always gone back to is his ability or inability to knock down the jump shot or the perimeter shot. Well, I've seen him knock down the perimeter shot on a consistent basis and um, for like two weeks straight. And I went back and called four or five guys that I know in the business. I said, hey, I think this guy right here is worth going back to revisit. And the other thing that I think separates him from um, most guards, I, I think it separates him from all of the other guards uh, in the state um, is his athleticism. Um, He's really, really athletic. And not only is he athletic, uh, but he can go with either hand. He can finish at the cup with either hand. And I think that's the one thing that separates him from any other guard uh, in the state. He plays a natural position at the three uh, as a six, three point guard, but his athleticism allows him to finish in traffic with either hand. And we all know how important that is at the next level. Yeah, I, I, I would like to see him um, uh, become a little bit more aggressive. And uh, Josh, don't kill me. Josh Staley, the head coach of AC Floor, uh, don't kill me for saying this. But I'd like to see Robert McCray just break the play and just go make a play sometimes. You know, he's so um, – he wants to do it right. He wants to run offense. He wants to make sure – I want him to just break the play and just go and make a play because he has that – because he's a selfish player. So in going to make a play doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to make a play for himself. He's going to make the right play. And um, again, I'm a little bit dumbfounded that he has not received more Power 5 conference offers than what he's received. Well, it's cool because he takes it seriously. It's cool because he works tremendously hard. I did not initially want him to play basketball um, because um, I'm anal when it comes to basketball. And I think there's only one way that you got it. Uh, I think there's only one method and that's working your behind off and that's doing it every day and that's living the game. And I wasn't sure whether or not he was going to live the game. And if he wasn't going to live the game, that was going to become problematic to me. And I have the blueprint. I have the cheat sheet. I know what it takes to become a starting point guard in the SEC. Now, does that mean he's going to become a starting point guard in the SEC? Absolutely not. But he has the blueprint. He has the cheat sheet. It's up to him. And I look forward to helping him carve his own path, not the path that his daddy uh, was able to carve. Um, and, and what helps me is that I don't live my life vicariously through him because unlike most, I did it. So I don't have to live it through him hoping and wishing that I can do it through him. 
but what I am going to do is make sure he has every resource. I'll make sure um, he he's able to um, follow the plan that I know work because I lived it, and uh, we'll see where that takes it. But I'm, it's going to be very very exciting to watch him over the next couple of years. And uh, we've had a plan uh, going back to when he was four years old. But when he got to the seventh grade, I said, you know, this is what you need to do. You need to get some experience as a seventh grader, backing up and you know getting some experience through through your play, but also as an eighth grader, you need to separate yourself. You need to become one of the best players in the city of Columbus because it's always been like this. With all due respect to the other cities in the state of South Carolina, when it comes to basketball, if you're one of the best in the city of Columbia, then based on the last 40 years of history, then there's normally a correlation with you being one of the best at your position in the state of South Carolina. So that's what, uh, that, uh, that was our goal. Um, he was able to separate himself. He was able to uh, make a name for himself. And uh, now it's about uh, continuing to build upon that. The thing that encourages me more than anything is I never, ever, ever have to worry about him working. I never, ever have to worry about asking him to go work out. As a matter of fact, just the other way around, after a long week of work, a lot of times I want to just lay around the house on the weekends and he's asking me, Dad, can we go to the gym? And I'm like, oh, man. But then I quickly think about it, well, if you have expectations when you're sitting in the gym watching him, then you also got to sacrifice as a parent to make sure he has everything he needs to be successful. So I'm looking forward to watching him play over the next three years. I, I I can't I I missed it I I can hear you now I missed everything you said. Yep. Uh, so, Kerry, uh, wrapping all this kind of stuff up here, uh, you've obviously got your hand in everything positive that's going on within the state of South Carolina. What's next? What's next for you? Yeah, you know, what's, um, what's interesting, I, I think we all, uh, once we get to a certain point, you're, you're always looking for that next challenge. You know, what is next? What is that next level thing? And um, I, I don't know what that is for me. I do know that I have a pretty good situation uh, here in Columbia, as you alluded to a few moments ago. I have my hands in on a lot of different things, uh, television, radio, uh, get to throw a few basketball events and um, just working as a recreation superintendent. I get to, um, I'm directly responsible for the, the programs and the staff and in the very same parts mm -hmm. that raised me. So I get to uh, impact inner city kids every single day and I get to work directly with the, uh, uh, with the city council, with city manager. Uh, the mayor, uh, all of the youth sports initiatives that come out of his office, um, I'm responsible for, which is good and bad. I, I guess it's good because uh, you get to work directly with the mayor 
-hmm. but the bad side to it is uh, you better make sure uh, when it gives you a, a project <laughs> that everything is done correctly, especially when there's such a bright spotlight shining on everything that he does. So uh, that part is fun. But uh, you know what? Uh, I think it would take a very special situation to get me out of Columbia. Mm -hmm. uh, but I do have an itch that I like to scratch, and I don't know how much more severe that itch becomes. <laughs> um, but I do think from a basketball standpoint, Jamie, I, I like to um, – I, I, I like to scratch that basketball itch at some point. Yeah. I don't know when, um, maybe on a national level. Um, I, I'll tell you what, what I've had the opportunity to do over the last uh, few years, um, going back to when P.J. Dozier and Sundarius Thornwell and um, those guys came, L.J. Peak, um, a lot of NBA teams started uh, reaching out to the basketball staff at South Carolina. And oftentimes, uh, they want to get the opinion of someone that's not a coach but also close enough to the program and uh, obviously knowledgeable enough to be able to uh, kind of give an evaluation and give an assessment. So with a lot of the coaches and NBA personnel that were called uh, the coaches at South Carolina, uh, thankfully Frank Martin and, and Matt Figures, who's now the head coach at Austin B, uh, Matt Figures in particular said, hey, you need to call that Kerry Rich guy, man. He knows everybody in South Carolina. He's seen all of these kids. Uh, uh, grow up. Uh, so he'll give you a, a, a perspective that I think you guys would enjoy and a perspective that could be a little bit different yeah. uh, from ours. And I'll tell you what happened um, after that. Um, I've been been able to be a part of the, the NBA uh, pre-draft process in the form of giving evaluations and giving um, assessments to all of the players that have come through South Carolina, uh, going back to PJ and 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 uh, Sindarius, every player that's come through South Carolina since, um, I've had the opportunity to uh, give an evaluation or give an assessment to NBA personnel uh, with those guys. Uh, I don't know whether that's something that I like to do um, in the future, uh, but I will tell you that I enjoy evaluating players. I enjoy dissecting players' strengths and weaknesses and, and how one part of their game directly transfers or translates to the next level. I enjoyed that part of it, uh, but uh, uh, it will take a special situation to get me out of Columbia. I know that I'm looking forward to uh, watching my kids. Um, I have a set of CJ. My son actually has a twin sister, yeah. uh, and she's um, into um, um, dancing. She competes with dancing. She's pretty good. Uh, also very expensive, by the way. So all of those things that I got my hand in on, I, I need my hand in on all of those things to be able to support a son playing basketball and, yeah. and a daughter that's competing all over the place when it comes to dance competitions. It's expensive so, raising kids, man. Oh, man, it is so expensive. But you know what? You work so hard to be able to give them all of the things that you weren't able to enjoy coming yeah. up. So I enjoy making the sacrifice. Uh, but I, know, I, I don't think I'm going anywhere anytime soon as long as they're still in high school. But uh, who knows after that? Uh, it, it'll take, I don't think I'm leaving Columbia. I don't want to leave Columbia, but I am going to tap into whatever that next challenge is in a couple of years. Well, no doubt. And now's a good time also, you know, to be a South Carolina guy on the NBA stuff, because obviously it started with P.J. Sandarius, then you had Silva, now you have A.J. Lawson, Jermaine Cousinard is going to be next, you know, and then within the city, within the short drive, you know, Zion Ja, Neesmith, all these other guys, just pros, 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 pros. So um, it's neat to see the NBA people putting South Carolina on the NBA map overall, because, I mean, Talent's coming through in droves right now. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Um, 
um, there was a uh, there was a, a recruiting well there was a director of scouting for an NBA team uh, that came to a South Carolina game there to see AJ Lawson, and this was the day after this is the day after uh, the MLK Classic. Yeah, and the, uh, he came down and uh, he said hello. We sat behind the bench. I was doing halftime and said hello. We had a small conversation. He said, uh, he said, hey man, do you guys have any more John Morant and Zion Williamson's over at the MLK Bash? I said, man, we got some talent over there, but we don't have John Morant and Zion Williamson. Those dudes are special, man. Yes, 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 they were. Uh, they yeah. were absolutely special. Um, yeah, I, that was lightning in a bottle. I mean, especially with the stories of it all. I mean, when you and I first watched Zion, you probably saw him a little bit before me, but like he was in seventh grade when we first, you know, when we were watching eighth grade, ninth grade and stuff, he was portly. He, 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 was, a, he was a chunky dude that played yes. hard and couldn't dunk. Couldn't dunk. Yeah. yeah. And you know what's funny? Um, in having a conversation with one of the NBA guys uh, this year, I said, you know, he was, he was portly, but here's the other thing that you may not even realize because you haven't seen a lot of it um, since he's been in college. But he was actually playing point forward when I first saw him play. No he question. was in offense. He was handling the ball, playing with basketball IQ. He was just an old school throwback type of basketball player minus the athleticism. Yep. And then 10th and 11th grade, the athleticism came and boom, just yeah. went he was almost like early in his career. He was almost like Mark Jackson, the guy that would kind of he would put his back to you and stuff. And yes, passer, make reads. Yep. And yeah, because that that's how I knew Zion was going to be a success. Because people don't don't know that aspect of him, his IQ and his his game. They just oh he all he can do is dunk and all that stuff. I'm like, his IQ is off the charts. <laughs> and, and you know, I'll tell you another story when it comes to John Morant. Yeah. Um, one of the other events that we have is the uh, South Carolina Junior Showcase, where we invite the top 24 juniors from around the state to come to Columbia under one roof. And this was the year, our first year was um, Felton. Um, Jalik. Jalik Felton. Uh, he was the star of the show. He was going to North Carolina. He was number one player in the state. And uh, Frank's son, Brandon Martin, also made the game, who's now playing at USC Upstate. Mm -hmm. So I remember telling Frank, because um, I was communicating with the Morants all year long, and they were sending the stats. and. You know, we were trying to get his name out there and all that. Like I still remember you and I having a conversation about John Morant. And uh, I said, Frank, there's this kid, a high-scoring guard um, out of uh, something uh, that we're invited to this game that I want you to take a look at. And because Frank's, Frank Martin's son played in the game as a Division One coach, he was able to come. Yeah. And while Jaleek Felton was the star of the show prior to the game, true story, when Frank Martin left, he and I were talking about John Morant. And the one thing we talked about was, you know, we knew he was a high-scoring guard that played with a little bounce. But we did not know that he could play the point guard position the way that he played the point guard position. Because just go back and look at the, the players that are normally 6'1", 6'2", and are high-scoring guards like he was, more times than not, they're, uh, they're labeled as undersized two guards. Mm -hmm. So we didn't really know that, they could, that he could play the point like that. And we watched him, and he could play the point. He had a couple of unbelievable dimes, a couple of nice interior passes. And we left that gym, Heathwood Hall, saying this kid could play. Yeah. And shortly after that, Frank started recruiting him and ended up offering the kid from seeing him at Heathwood Hall in the junior showcase. That was the beginning of 
John Morant and people knowing about John Morant. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was it was unbelievable. The John Morant story. I could go on and on and on talking about John because you know he um it, it was uh, it's just an unbelievable story in its own right. Um, the summer between his junior and senior year, he came to our AAU event. At that time, he was playing with Nick Claxton in July. First week of July, it was him and Nick Claxton. They were the, the South Carolina Hornets and the South Carolina Raptors merged to make Team South Carolina. Claxton was the big draw, but Ja was making the noise and stuff. Well, Claxton only played the first week of July because the second week, I think he went to the play with his Virgin Island national team. So he missed the and second. Devontae Shuler, who's now at Ole Miss, he was also part of that team. Yeah, yeah. Shuler was on that team too. Um, and then Shuler, so I think Shuler left to go play with another team that last week. And the last week it was just uh, it was just John ja Morant and Jordan Warlick from Dutch Fork. I don't know if you remember him. And uh, so we had the live period event. It was the third week. Uh, that was the week that Matt McMahon offered him. Uh, he averaged 46 points over seven games in that wow. event. And it was yeah. unbelievable. You, you, saw, you saw the first game. He had, you know, he had like 50. And all of a sudden the next – he had like 10 coaches there. And all of a sudden after that he had like 20 coaches. And, you know, after he goes for 45 to 55 points in four straight games, then all of a sudden he has 50, 60 coaches there watching. Frank Martin was one of them, yeah. Matt Figger. Matt Figger was following the kid everywhere he went. Speaking of Matt, unbelievable guy. Um, but, yeah. Matt Figger, talk about that right now today. Matt, Matt Figger and I, um, uh, as soon as the pandemic started, Matt Figger was down in Florida with uh, – uh, with his family, and he and I were talking about John Morant. Yeah. It was <laughs> the most unbelievable. It was the most unbelievable things I've ever seen in my life. Over over six, over seven games straight, to average forty six points per game over seven games, and every game be between like forty five and 50, 54 points. It, it, it was it was it was an unbelievable performance. And still, after watching that personally, I didn't know John was going to be as good as he is right now. <laughs> I don't think anybody could have predicted that, Jamie. And anybody who says outside of his close family and his friends, um, I don't think are being truthful. But to yeah. see how quickly, uh, and I was just communicating with his uncle, um, who's also, I think, his business manager, uh, just two, week, two, two weeks ago. And I said, hey, man, it's, it's been fun and amazing watching how quickly John Morant has become and is becoming a household name yeah. in the NBA. And I remember him playing second and third fiddle to Devontae Shula, Zion Williams, and, and, and some of the other folks. And yeah. uh, it, it's been crazy, but it's fun. And I think what it's done is um, I had an agent to call me from California, all because of Zion Williamson. And, and, and this agent currently represents, he works for uh, the CAA, uh -huh. uh, one of the biggest agencies in, in the world. And he called me from L.A., Asking about, he was asking, actually asking about the Neesmith kid. Yeah. Uh, that's uh, that's that Vanderbilt. In in having that conversation, he was also talking about Zion Williamson and John Morant, and how they made South Carolina a destination. As a matter of fact, mm -hmm. before he mm -hmm. ended the conversation, you know what he said? What's that? I got to get down to Carolina. Yes. <laughs> I got to get down to Carolina. I got to see some of those players. <laughs> Yeah, every year they're coming out with him, and it's guys that you wouldn't expect, you know, because even Ja, like we were just saying, you know, he was averaging a triple-double his senior year. The whole reason I first saw Trey, uh, Trey Hannibal as a sophomore was because I went to go watch Ja Morant, and, and, and Ja was playing against Hartsville, and Trey was really good that game. That was the first time I saw Trey. You know, you would never have guessed 
that he would be the number two pick in the draft and a probable NBA multiple time NBA All Star. And to see his hard work and stuff, I'm sure T is beside himself because I remember T sitting on the sidelines with his GoPro on his head, on his hat, watching the game and all that kind of stuff. T T's the, one of the most unbelievable basketball dads I've been around. Um, but no, the South Carolina kids—they're late bloomers too. They're all young for their grade. People don't realize Zion, Nick Claxton, all these Ja. They're all young. Like they're graduating high school at 17 years old. So their their curve is later than most within grade and stuff. And um, you know, Neesmith, I mean, you know, people see a Neesmith now he's gonna be probably a top 20 pick in the draft this year. Yeah. You know, people just need to play this year. Yeah. And he's young and all that kind of stuff. Josiah James, you know, a late bloomer into a McDonald's All-American. South Carolina kids just they just bloom late. And and then when they bloom, holy cow, do they bloom. <laughs> Yeah, and, and now, I, you know, in my conversation with the, the young kids and the up-and-comers, uh, I think what I try to do is drive home that point that, you know, the guys that have come before you have laid the groundwork. Um, they've, they've made Columbia, they've made the state of South Carolina a destination. And if you can play, and of course, with help from guys like yourself, Jamie, who, uh, who's relentless and who's done a really good job of helping spread the word uh, when it comes to South Carolina talent, and if you're good enough, if you find a way to impact your team, then, you know, coaches are going to find you. Now, it's up to you in terms of what level you play at. I think when you talk position, size, what's your weapon, what's your skill set, what's your basketball IQ, some of the other intangibles, the better you are in those areas will determine or dictate the level that you're able to play at. But it's your job to try to become really, really good in each of those, in each of those areas. And when you're able to do that, then the rest of the rest of it takes care of itself. Yeah, I I was listening to your podcast with John with John Combs the other night, and I think you hit the nail on the head with something. And I think this is why South Carolina is finally not finally they're getting talent coming through like that. Um, South Carolina will always have athletes. They will always be long, athletic dudes who can run and jump and all that kind of stuff. But you said something where I think now people are instilling skill set fundamentals. Two hand, you know, two hand passes, dribbling, being able to shoot the ball. They're instilling those in the kids at a young age, so that when the athleticism catch up catches up to them, then they're actually they're taking off. Because that's what they always have. They all have a skill set now. You have guys who are being co head coaches, guys like Josh Daly, guys like Thomas uh, Ryan up at Dorman. You have Tim Whipple at at, at Irmo and uh, Zach Norris and Yerick Stoneman and, and you know John Pearson down at uh, Porter Gallup. That they're they're the varsity coaches but they're getting stuff all the way down to the middle school and elementary school leagues and, and instilling fundamentals, basic fundamentals. And, and, and that's happening in South Carolina now. So now they're the curve of talent is going up because once the athleticism and length catches up to the, the skill set, which is what you're seeing with Robert McCray right now, once that catches up, it's a wrap. And I, I think you hit the nail on the head with that and instilling the fundamentals early. Yeah. And, and uh, unfortunately, um, in today's game, because of the many different workouts and uh, the many different ways of working out, the basic fundamentals have become lost. Because when you're talking fundamentals, you're talking about the basics. Yeah. And it's not fun. I, I remember having a young man that, that was working out with, uh, uh, with the group that I was working out back in the day. And, you know, part of our drills, um, if you're on the left-hand side, you're going to dribble with your left hand. You're going to dribble with the ball low. You're going to dribble with the ball out in front. And you're going to dribble with your head up, right? Mm -hmm. And not only are you going to do that, but 
you're going to get 10 repetitions doing that. So it becomes boring. It becomes rhetorical. It becomes, oh, man, I mean, this isn't any fun. So it's not as fun as making a double move between the legs behind the back spin move, which will, by the way, never translate into a game because the game is happening too quick, right? Yes. The game is happening quick. So you got to be very decisive with that move. And we only work on things that directly translate to the game. And the fundamentals um, that, unfortunately, have been lost um, are now coming back. And I think, um, you know, players that are up and coming, they're looking at guys that have come before them. They're looking at how some of them panned out, Jamie, and some did not pan out, unfortunately. And the ones that pan out are the ones that have that fundamental skill set that, that directly translates to the game of basketball. Yeah, that, that reminds me of a story that I heard about the late Kobe Bryant, um, you know, tragic everything, rest his soul. But before the workout he had, going all the way back to when he was young in the league, before every single workout he had, he was in there an hour to break a sweat doing nothing but footwork. Yeah. Moves that he uses in-game, like he's Lebo, in-game to get to his spots on the floor that he knows that he's great at, he, 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 he did before practice. He would come in, he would wake up at like 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning, nothing but footwork, and that's how he was in a sweat. And that's what makes – great players the good players great is the basic fundamentals I mean, this is my spot how can i get there and then working on that and also when you look at the good teams that have won in columbia uh those teams also work on fundamentals um exactly. you, you go to a zach Norris practice at keenan high school the first 30 minutes all fundamentals you go to tim Wilkin over at irma the first few minutes all fundamentals you go to yarek stoneman up in the region first few minutes all fundamentals so you know, it's, it's no coincidence that those teams are still winning at a high clip. Yeah, no question. Now, Kerry, we go on and on and on talking. You're one of my favorite people, and I'm very fortunate to be able to call you a friend. Um, thank you much for joining me today. It's meant so much. Well, thank you so much, Jamin. Uh, thank you for continuing uh, to provide that effort that allows our kids to be showcased and allows our guys to be exposed. Uh, that means a lot to me, and if there's anything I can do, to help increase that or anticipate that here in Columbia or the state of South Carolina, uh, you know that I am a phone call away, and I appreciate you, Frank. No, absolutely. Uh, guys, thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, very good guest today, the captain, Kerry Rich, uh, Mr. Mr. South Carolina, Mr. Basketball, South Carolina, all that kind of stuff. Thank you very much, Kerry. Um, and in the meantime, guys, keep tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to the channel. Make sure the five stars. Uh, we appreciate you, and we'll see you next time.